Welcome to NACE Clinical Highlights. I'm Corinne Young, Director of APP and Clinical Services at Colorado Springs Pulmonary Consultants, and I'm the President of the Association of Pulmonary Advanced Practice Providers. I will be your moderator today for this podcast. Joining me today for this session of Shifting Targets, Decoding, and Discussing PH Guidelines is Dr. Iwana Preston. Dr. Preston is an Associate Professor of Medicine at Tufts University School of Medicine and a Director at Pulmonary Hypertension Center, Tufts Medical Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Iwana, so great to be talking to you again about PAH. How are you today? Good. Wonderful to be back with you, Corinne. So Dr. Preston and I were part of the Conversations in Pulmonary Live Virtual Symposium on April 8th. Um, If you joined us for that, thank you for being part of that. We had a lot of participation with the audience. It was wonderful. But in case you missed it, uh, you can find those sessions by searching naceonline.com for those presentations can be found on those websites. But today, we're going to talk a little bit more about PAH. We're going to kind of expand a little further from that discussion that we had on April 8th. Specifically, I wanted to start with first diagnosing PAH. So one of the big points that you made previously was, you know, we have to rule out the other groups, right? Groups two through five. And specifically, one of the big things that you want to make sure is done is a um, VQ scan to rule out uh, chronic embolism or CTEF, correct? Corinne, you're absolutely correct. When you investigate uh, unexplained dyspnea or suspected pulmonary hypertension, you need to take into account as etiology of these symptoms, chronic clots or chronic pulmonary embolism. Um, And VQ scan is a very easy, non-invasive test to look for chronic emboli. All right. Are any other tests that you like to perform outside of VQ um, that are kind of fundamental for you for ruling out the other groups? Yes. So, you know, the more common causes of pulmonary hypertension are a left heart disease, whether it's systolic or diastolic dysfunction or valvular disease. And that group, or group two, is the most common cause of pulmonary hypertension in the United States nowadays. So look for left heart disorders. But also advanced lung disease, whether it's pulmonary fibrosis or emphysema or a combination of the two, can uh, cause pulmonary hypertension, which is group three. Those are very common causes. And then we look with a VQ scan for chronic clots for group four. And when we eliminate the most common causes, we are left with a suspicion for group one PAH. So once you've done those exams and you're suspecting PAH and not pulmonary hypertension, but pulmonary arterial hypertension in your patients, then I'm assuming the next step is right heart cath. Absolutely. Uh, The right heart catheterization confirms the diagnosis. Also, um, rules out a group 2 disease because uh, you rule out a high feeling pressure on the left side or a high wedge. So it's a very important. It also gives you a hint uh, about the severity of the pulmonary vascular disease. And that is the first step in guiding the treatment. 
So I know there have been some changes over the last few years on cutoffs um, on your right heart cath measurements that would tell you this now meets the criteria for an elevated pressure for both pulmonary arterial uh, wedge pressures, um, PVR, that type of thing. Could you kind of briefly walk us through the parameters on your right heart cath that you're looking at, what those criteria are for you that say, okay, yes, this is an elevated pressure? So uh, the current, the most updated recommendations suggest that the mean PA pressure over 20 millimeters of mercury is abnormal. So that defines pulmonary hypertension. In the setting of a normal wedge pressure, 15 or less millimeters of mercury, now we consider abnormal over two Woods units, it defines precapillary pulmonary hypertension. So the parameters um, have changed, have uh, decreased uh, to uh, expand the, ab- uh, the abnormal range uh, based on a new and old data suggesting that these parameters reflect the cutoff between normal and abnormal. Uh, very important is to measure the right atrial pressure as well as the flow or cardiac output, and those two parameters have been consistently associated with uh, outcome. And that's why there are very important parameters obtained during the right heart cath. Excellent. So after you have your right heart cath, you've confirmed that this does look like a a group one uh, PAH patient. Then we start talking about treatment, right? So I know there have been multiple studies, um, ambition and Breathe 2 and all these other studies uh, looking at dual upfront therapy being superior to monotherapy than advancing once they've worsened. Um, what do you like to do for your or dual upfront therapy? What recommendations do you have there for providers? So the mo- most commonly we diagnose patients with group 1 PAH who are symptomatic. And the vast majority are somewhere in the intermediate risk um, when they uh, first come to our clinic. So uh, these patients, the vast majority of patients, will benefit from upfront combination therapy with two oral uh, drugs, most commonly used PD-5 inhibitor plus an endothelin receptor antagonist. So I would say the vast majority of group 1 pH patients will fit into this category as the beginning of uh, at the beginning of treatment now there are certain um exceptions but again i want to emphasize those are exceptions and the rule is to start dual upfront combination therapy so the few exceptions are for example a patient with scleroderma who's been screened but is not symptomatic and uh, has very mild elevation uh, in PA pressure, so very mild PAH, we really don't have data to support dual upfront combination. So you may want to start with one drug at a time. On the other spectrum are the patients who uh, present in very, with very advanced disease, with a low cardiac output, with overt right heart failure uh, signs and symptoms. And those will benefit not by, from two, but from three upfront therapy. One of them um, being a prostacycline infusion. So that's a, another small but very important category. 
We know dual upfront therapy is very beneficial. We've looked at triple upfront therapy in the Triton study, which turned out to be a negative study that more is not necessarily better for initiation of triple therapy in patients. But we do advance patients to triple therapy. So could you walk everyone through when you're advancing a patient to three drugs from two or and why you do that, what therapies you're thinking of at those times? Uh, Corinne, we do consider additional therapy in patients who do not respond enough to the therapies that we chose in the beginning. So a patient on dual oral therapy who is recently diagnosed, as well as those patients who have been on oral dual therapy for many years, if they do not fall into the category of low risk, then you should consider changing, switching, adding therapies. And what do we have available now? We can add a prostacycline uh, receptor uh, agonist, um, which is an oral therapy, or we can switch the PD-5 inhibitor to a soluble guanylate cyclase stimulator. And this, these two options are reserved for patients who stay in the intermediate or intermediate low risk. Now, if the patient is high risk or intermediate high, um, on dual oral therapy, the recommendation is to strongly uh, uh, use uh, an infusion with a prostacycline because these patients are at high risk of death. Absolutely. And you've touched on it a couple of times, so I want to expand a little bit about the risk stratification. So I know in my practice, we use um, Reveal or Reveal Light 2.0, that type of thing, which really breaks these patients down into low, intermediate, or high risk. And you're kind of watching as those patients are moving, hopefully not moving up that scale, but you know, you're looking for that potential worsening. But I know ERS is recommending the four strata, which is the low, low intermediate, high intermediate, and high. So they've broken apart the intermediate risk, that middle group. Are you using one versus the other? How often are you using your risk stratification on your patient? Can you just explore that a little further? Yes. Um, it doesn't matter which one you use. They both the both reveal light to and the four strata scoring system use basically the same parameters. And, and they are the parameters that are very important in clinical practice. How far the patient walks, uh, how well they feel, functional class, uh, what's their BNP or anti-pro BNP, so how stretched is their right ventricle, because ultimately that leads to their demise if it's not under control. So... Regardless of the type, whether it's Reveal 2 or 4 Strata, um, it helps you to kind of fit the patient into how severe the disease is uh, still is and how well or not well you are controlling their disease. Um, so these scores have performed very similarly in uh, when tested uh, in several databases and in patients who have been enrolled in several clinical trials. So they're both very good. 
Well, good. Well, speaking of clinical trials, you led me right into it. I wanted to talk about Sotaterstep, uh, which you have been very involved in the stellar trial yourself. Your your clinic has been. This has been very exciting to everybody that's involved in PAH, watching this drug development, watch these trials come out on it. Can you touch a little bit on this trial, the endpoints, um, what's what's to come with this new therapy? Yeah, so uh, sotatercept is a drug in development that acts on the TGF-beta superfamily pathway. We know that patients with PAH have a defective either function or gene um, of bone morphogenetic protein receptor 2, which is one of the receptors in the TGF-beta superfamily. And sotatercept acts on the counterpart pathway, which is the active in three pathway that rebalances the lack or the dysfunction of the BMPR2. So it blocks the uh, enemy of the BMPR2 if you want to to speak in more lay terms. And it rebalances this pro-proliferative, anti-proliferative system. Um, it has been studied in a phase two trial that was uh, positive, so it was uh, suggestive that this drug may work in PAH. And the Stellar trial is the uh, pivotal phase three uh, randomized controlled trial testing this drug um, on the effects of uh, several parameters of pulmonary arterial hypertension. Their main uh, outcome or the primary endpoint was a six-minute walk distance at six months. But there are several endpoints that have been proven to be positive in this trial. I think that's got everyone very excited to have a new therapy option for those patients. Any other therapies other than sotatercept that are on the horizon that we should know about? Yes, Corinne, the uh, clinical research uh, arena is uh, very active in PAH currently. There are several compounds that are acting on the PDGFR or a platelet-derived growth factor receptor that are in clinical trials, um, a molecule on the serotonin pathway, and several other uh, clinical trials that are ongoing. And we hope we will have more information very soon. Well, thank you, Dr. Preston, so much for joining us today and sharing all your expertise on PAH. I really enjoyed talking to you even more about it today than we did at the spring conversations in pulmonary. Um, We hope to have you back again on another podcast. But as I mentioned before, the conversation was a continuation of our dialogue on the Spring Conversations of Pulmonary Live Virtual Symposium that we did on April 8th. If you missed any portion of that day and would like a little more background on PAH, you can find a webcast of that presentation along with slides, which include the diagnostic and treatment algorithm on NACEonline.com. Please like us on Facebook at NACEME to be part of our online social media community and get access to other content and programs that we share. You can also get more information about the Association of Pulmonary Advanced Practice Providers at our website, www.pulmapp.com. And also we have some social media pages to follow us as well. Finally, a big thank you to our audience for joining us for this podcast. I hope you have learned something new and can bring that back to your practice. We look forward to having you join us for upcoming podcasts in the future. Have a great day.